Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend El Chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our daf for the day, Mesachet Yuma, daf Ayin Bet, page 72. Um, I found, Yerdena, you'll, you'll chime in and either agree with me or disagree with me here. I found this daf to be particularly interesting because it seems to be taking us back to what I would almost call a preamble to the Mesachet in terms of, and, and it begins on the previous daf, not a time we're talking about these things, but it's talking about how the big day kahuna are made, how the curtains in the Mishkan are made, the ephod, which is the uh, the um, apron, I guess is what it would be called, right? There's the breastplate, that's the Urim Vitumim. All of these things are part and parcel of the whole day that we have just had, right, of Yom Kippur, and yet we've never yet until this point discussed what goes into the creation of them? And I don't mean creation. I mean, you know, human craftsmanship. But the the they were they had to be created. They had to be made before Yom Kippur. Meaning they had to be made before the beginning of the Masechet. If we're talking about a chronology, so a we're off our chronology now, right? In terms of um, the way we've been, I keep saying, oh, we're following from the week before, and then into the day of, and throughout the day, and then even the day after. So this is not in the chronology, and. And as I say, it seems to me that this is really um, preliminary, a precursor to anything that's going on in the Beit HaMikdash, because, you know, this is exactly how these things were made. So part of the discussion that begins on the previous stuff is about um, the ephod and the, uh, well, you didn't, you spoke about some of this yesterday in terms of the actual garments and even the fact that they're supposed to be um, these um, pamonim, rimonim, rimonim, pamonim. These bells and these pomegranates that are on the bottom of the oh, where are they? They're on the bottom of the jacket of the coat. But then also, there's a discussion of these pomegranates on the ephod. And the phenomenon here, I would say, is when I say craftsmanship, I mean this is of the highest order. Where they're dealing with fine fabrics and fine materials and all kinds of rare colors. Nowadays, we don't think about this because all of our clothing is pretty colored. Um, or if it's not, it's by choice, right? As opposed to the dyes being truly expensive and a challenge to make. Um, so that's what's going on here. And at the top of our daf here, we then end up talking about, it's talking about the tchelet, and the, and there's a whole lot of discussion of the tchelet being sky blue, right? And and um, nowadays, right, they've rediscovered how to make the tchelet. But the idea here is that when we're talking about these curtains, which is where we're going here, not even the big day kahuna, but specifically the curtains, um, there's a lot of discussion over what um, craftsmanship of each thread, each thread for, for the weaving of the curtains was made of other threads, right? To make it um, a sturdy a sturdy thread, like meaning that each one is, um, how do you say this? You're doing it kind of twisted together. Eight strands. We've got a discussion of eight strands in the robe of the coin gadol, and I think it was six strands for the yuri oat for the curtain. Well, well, if anybody here is like I'm a needle pointer, actually. So when you get the thread that you use for needle point, it is usually, you know, strands like wrapped together, basically. So I totally understood what the staff was talking about. Right, and so. And it does, it's not just with yarn. It happens also with embroidery thread, right, where you also you can pull it apart. Um, and most most threads that are used for something crafty as opposed to 
I don't know, just hemming a, a skirt or something, right? So here, this is, I wanted to get to the point where it's not six strands for the curtains, it's 24. Parochet esrim va'arba. The idea here is that the th- that each thread that is used to weave the curtain is made of 24 strands that combine to make each thread. Arba deshita shita, lodina v'lodayana, lodayana. So the Gemara explains that here we've got each thread has four different colored threads in it. And those th- those colors are white and purple and scarlet and tzchelet and the blue, the sky blue. So purple is argaman. And we actually know that the, the tzchelet and the argaman are made from the same pr- process, except for that um, the tzchelet gets sunlight added and, and the same dye turns blue. And the argaman, stay, if it's kept in the dark, um, it would be, it stays purple. Scarlet is called Shani. Um, anyway, and each one of these, um, each one of these four colors, right, ends up being um, made of six strands of each color. And then those six, those four colors times six strands gets you 24 strands into each thread. Why am I always the one doing math here? Um, that we end up doing, that we end up with 24 strands for each thread that is woven into the curtains. So you always, you always do end up doing the math. Might, might something subconsciously. <laughs> you think know. I'm choosing it? Anyway, the point or, here is that or I choose not to, but discuss <laughs> that at another time. But the idea here is this math is very clear. Meaning you have four colors and you have six strands per color, and then you weave it all together. But what that means is that each thread that goes into the weaving of the curtains is really kind of multicolored and when you are then you know and this is the part that i think jumps out for me is that if you're if you're standing there before the curtains right they had to be some kind of glorious tapestry right because because they have all these colors woven in woven together there so the bright that continues so not just the parocha that's the the cloth or the curtain right but the breastplate and the ephod the choshen is a breastplate. The ephod is the apron thing that is just called an ephod, really. Um, they each have 28 strands. Now, how do we know this? Manalan. We get it, dichti, because there's a verse. Vasita choshen mishpat, maseh choshev, kemaseh ephod, ta'asena zahav, t'chele vargaman, v'tolad shani, v'sheish mashzar. So this is a verse from Shmot, the 28th chapter of the book of Exodus. And the verse says, you'll make the breastplate, um, and it will be the work of a skilled craftsperson. That's Masechoshev. The moment you have Masechoshev, then all right away you know that you're dealing with fine materials and and tricky um, and tricky skills. So that and then here it says that you'll have from gold and from tchelet. That's the blue and argaman. That's the purple. Tolachani. That's the red, the scarlet. And it will be fine twisted linen. Meaning sheish masar means that you've got six twisted together. And then you're going to twist those six together. Again, you've got 24, but then on top of it, you've got gold. Is that right? Let's see. So we have it with four colored threads. Each one has six. That makes 24. That's what I said from before, but that's what is here as well. And then when you add in the gold, so that you end up with the gold together with each of those four colors, means you get four gold strands. And now you've got a total of 28. Now, the... So now, if I'm going to say that standing before these curtains or before, in fact, this a fold, you end up with 
not just beautiful colors, but it's shiny, it's shimmery, it's gold, gold thread. And then, of course, the question is, is nami shisha. why not say that the gold should be woven together of a thread of six strands like all the other colors? And I'm going to read the Gemara, and then I have a, a personal silly story for one moment. Amar of Achabar Yaakov, Amar Kra, Bekitzitz Ptilim. The Rav Achabar Yaakov says that what they did was that they would take this, he explains, they would beat this gold into very thin plates, and then they would cut it into cords, and then they would work it into the Tchelet and into the Argamad and into the scarlet, right, and into the linen, meaning there, so the cord here of the metal is that it's really metal, Right? So when you have got a petil, which also can mean wick, but here it really seems to mean a cord, right? It's a strand that's kind of doubled over to begin with so that it can be twisted into something that is usable, pliable, um, so that when you end up with ptilim, that's the implication that you've got a double strand there. And so you have four instead of six. Now, the other thing that I was thinking, which is, you know, not the Gemara's explanation, is that if you ever do handiwork, needlework, embroidery, needlepoint, you end up with, you know, and you if you ever look at the metallic threads, right, the metallic threads are really hard to work with because they're always, because they're, they've got metallic in them. They're a little bit, they shed a little bit more and they separate a little bit more. They don't stay together as much of a thread because of that metal that's, I, I don't know what, it, it's making it a little sturdier, not sturdier, Meaning, yes, it's sturdier, but it also means that it keeps its form more and it's harder to pull together when you're going through your stitches. So I wonder if that's not why, you know, I wonder if they, even these Masse Choshev, these really extremely skilled craftspeople, I wonder if they didn't um, also keep the gold threads down, the cords down, to make it less fiddly as they're going through trying to do their stitches. I say this because um, here's my... Um, story because very recently my son had a, a chumash party in school and they explained that they expected the parents to embroider the covers for the new chumashim and then it, I was like embroidery what do you mean embroidery I haven't done embroidery in many many years your day and I also used to do needlework and needlepointed embroidery um, and I thought I was going to be so clever and get gold for the cover because you know isn't that going to be beautiful because he had asked for a it doesn't matter. There's a whole decoration, including a crown. So I made the crown from gold thread, and I have to say, it was a bear. It was just really, really hard to work with. So I I am not Masei Choshev. I'm not doing Masei Choshev. I'm not that skilled. As I said, the last time I did embroidery was, I was, I don't know, 11, 14, something like that, right? But, um, but I think there's something to be said here for the fact that what what is demanded here of these cool of these threads woven together the strands into threads the threads into actual weaving is both incredibly skilled and then presumably incredibly beautiful you know as as decorative for the kohen gadol and and for the mishkan or later the the beta mikdash um in terms of this was not regular clothing right this is there's a recognition that this is very skilled labor very fine materials and it's hard work to put it together. So the gold here to me is just the icing on the cake. I you know, it's how they calculate this in the Midrash Halakha piece was very interesting to me. You know, none of this is just Misora. Like I it's just what pieces of it are Misora we say it's like Halakha Moshe Misenai and what pieces of it are 
based on a close reading of the Pesukim is, is always interesting to see. And I think here we had a really interesting one of how they get what's four, you know, what's six, what's, I'm not going to even say the numbers, right? What's eight, what's 24, what's 28. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. And, and exactly this, right? Meaning at what point do you say, well, that was the way people made clothes for royalty. Right. Meaning, did they know they were slaves in Egypt? Did they know what was going on in the palace? Was what was going on in the palace the same as what they did later? Or was this simply, you know, beautifying what they knew? Or or as you say, was this like, a, you know, from on high, you know, message to Batsalo, who's crafting the Mishkan, what everybody should do. And of course, this is many generations later and they're trying to figure it out ret- retroactively. Right. But the other piece of it is, is that presumably this was a craft. So you would think it would have sort of been handed down in a way. So it's interesting where you see the Machlokas piece pop up. Um, I'm going to jump to Ahmed Bet, which to me sort of read like a page out of Brachos. For those of you who've been with us since Brachos, just a lot of like little, you know, analyses of random psukim, all sort of around the theme of Torah and Tamidei Chachamim and, and their importance and value in the world. Um, but I'll start with sort of where it begins, because um, I just thought that was a nice little section. So he says there are three crowns. There were three crowns on the kalim in the Beit HaMikdash. Of the altar of the ark and the table. So the one that was on the ark symbolized basically the crown of the kuhuna, of the priesthood. The one of the table symbolized the crown of kingship, right? It, it was related to, to David, sorry. And it says that Aaron took that crown for himself. In other words, he was associated and took sort of ownership over it. And David took ownership over his crown. Shel Aaron atidanunahu. But the one of the Aaron, right? It says it's still sitting and waiting. In other words, it hasn't totally been acquired. And call anybody wants to can come and take it. So I think it's telling us something interesting, right? That, you know, the crown of the Kuna and the one of kingship are associated with particular lineages, right? The Kuna has been uh, kingship is with David Amel and his descendants. But Torah, which was symbolized by the Aaron, which I think also one could argue the three. Caleb described here as sort of the most holy, right? Certainly the one that's in the inner sanctuary um, was available to anybody and it still doesn't have ownership and anybody can come and take it. So you might say, well, maybe then it's worth less because nobody's claimed it. Tamud Lamar, right? The Pasuk tells us, so this is a Pasuk from Mishle, chapter 8, verse 15, that says, through me, kings will reign. Meaning that the other crowns basically is trying to say, are derived from this crown of Torah. But what I think this piece is really telling us is that the crown of Torah, Torah is available to anybody. It does not, it's not based on your lineage. Anybody can acquire that crown of Torah and it's not a birthright. Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, I think that's actually a belief and that you and I have and is actually one of our motivations of this podcast, right? Is the ability, is that we strongly believe Torah is available to Everybody, you know, maybe we should mark this and we'll talk about this when we finish off here. This would be one, right? <laughs> it's a good uh, no, but, yeah. but I think it's exactly that. It's waiting there for anybody. Um, and so this spoke to me because I think 
again, this is one of the things we've been trying to do with this podcast is to say anybody can participate and join that conversation of Torah learning. Then it goes on to say, Rabbi Yochanan Rami, Rabbi Yochanan, he raises um, a contradiction about this idea that the Ark sort of symbolizes Torah. And it says, Ketiv. So here they're quoting a pasuk from Shemot, chapter 25, verse 11. The word in the pasuk there says, Zar, Bikarinan like Zer. But we read it as Zer. In other words, sometimes we have words in the Torah where the vocalization, the word appears one way, but the vocalization is something else. And often you'll see that if you're following along on Shabbat, you see a lot of these in the Haftar where it says Uktiv, you know, in the side, and it tells you what the vocalization is for it. Sometimes it's not just even vowelization. It could even be like a whole other letter is inserted or something like that. Zaha Nasit Lozer. So it says one who is deserving, right, by following the Torah or doing the mitzvot, something like that, it becomes a zer, it becomes a crown for that person. Lo zacha, zara heimenu. But if it's not deserving, then it becomes a stranger for him. Goes on, Rabbi Yochanan, Rami, Rabbi Yochanan again says, Ketiv, and now he's quoting a pasuk from Devarim, chapter 10, verse 1. Vasita lecha aron eight. Right, you should make for yourself a wooden ark. And then later on, it says, well, earlier it says in Shmot, chapter twenty-five, verse ten, that they will make a aron of uh, of of this particular type of wood. So what they're paying attention to is the first pasuk seems to say, "You shall make it." Moshe was commanded to make the ark. The second pasuk is saying they shall make it, meaning all the Jewish people had to be involved. If the Aaron represents Torah, so therefore what we learn is, is that a Torah scholar is needs to be supported. Everybody needs to make a Torah scholar and should be supported by everybody. Um, and then it goes on, So this is uh, the, the next pasuk in Shemot uh, of chapter 25, verse 11, right? It says, from within and from without, you shall cover it. Rava says any Tamikacham, whereas inside is not like his outside, is not a Tamikacham. As soon as I saw this, this reminds me, and again, I said this is a reminding me of Brachot. This is like the passage in Brachot on Dav Chavchat, right, where we have that very famous story of Rabban Gamliel uh, and Rabbi Elazar when Rabban Gamliel is re- forcibly removed as the Nasi because of how he treated Rabbi Yeshua. And one of the things it talks about was that when Rabbi Elazar becomes a Nasi, he let everybody in. And it said because uh, Rabban Gamliel, you know, sort of was, the, he kind of put a bouncer in front of the Beit Midrash because he wanted to make sure that everybody was Toho Kivoro. Um, so it's exactly that same phrase that we saw before earlier. I'm not going to read any more here on the daf. There's just a lot of these nice little uh, nuggets here that, again, are just sort of talking about the primacy of Torah and Talmidei Chachamim. It's really a huge tangent um, sort of of what the theme of the Masachet is, but I think it all relates back to sort of the primacy of the Aron and what what does the Aron really represent. And I don't think we often would think of the Aron as really representing Torah, right? I think we sort of think of the Aron as representing maybe some type of physical manifestation of God's presence here. But I think, you know, there may be another reason here of what Chazal is trying to do here. Remember that by Bayacheni, the Aron, first of all, didn't exist. It wasn't part of Bayacheni. And second of all, if you're a Chazal writing, you know, the we're talking about Rabbi Yochanan sort of transitional between the Tanaim and Amoraim, but you're compiling the Gemara 
and the Talmud Bavli, and you're sitting in Bavel, you're Ravashi, you know, you need to think about, this is one of these Gemaras that I think really, it's a commentary on saying, look, I know, we know we don't have the Beit HaMidash, but really the Aaron was just symbolic of Torah, and you always have access to Torah, whether or not there's a Beit HaMidash or not. So I just want to say here, Dana, you stole what I was going to say, which just goes to say, show that we've been learning together for a while now, right? Meaning I, I was going to say that exactly this, that all of this discussion here about the Torah and the primacy of Torah comes on the heels of a masechet that was not focused on, certainly not on Talmud Torah, the learning of the Torah. I actually do it personally. I do associate the Aaron with Torah because that's where the Luchot Abrit were you know, were kept and that that to me is like symbolic of the Torah itself. But as you say, it's a physical manifestation. It's it maybe not maybe to me it was more of the Torah than of Hashem, but it's as opposed to sitting and learning, right? That's like the the case, the display case, even though it wasn't on display and even though it wasn't there by Cheney. So I feel like, yeah, this is the follow-up after all this discussion of the Avoda, where it kind of says like they're there. We don't have this, but we do have the Torah, and the Torah is, you know, over is going to take priority over everything. Uh, yeah, I think that's you know, it's just one of these nice tap in that I think always enhances learning and sort of makes why we learn, uh, you know, more meaningful. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on our major podcast. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this tap on our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.